Dispatch Boys. Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. <laughs> Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired Simon Witness Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have a great show for you today. We have uh, retired Phoenix Police uh, Officer Bobby Arce. He had a great career, but we're going to talk about what he did after. He ended up hunting kidnappers of those who are taking Americans across the world. He's been in Haiti. He's been, he's been everywhere. It's going to be a fascinating story. Then we're going to go to Cop Talk where Jason and I are going to talk about a real-life Frankenstein shop, a human body chop shop. Then after that, we go into Stupid Suspect Stories, Horror Headlines, and, of course, my favorite, Jason's Inspirational Clothes. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you'll be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association in this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. You know, Jason, when I uh, retired, uh, I knew I wanted to write a book. I knew I wanted to do, you know, nonprofit stuff. I knew I wanted to help because it's, it's in us. It's who we are. You can't just turn off when you retire. Right. Uh, so I joined LinkedIn, and I'm so glad I did because you meet a lot of fellow police officers, military, like both yeah, you and LinkedIn I. Yeah, LinkedIn is fantastic. And, and I know you got a following uh, because when I talk about interesting people on LinkedIn, there's no more interesting than our own very own Jason Schechterly. So I get you have a lot of followers. But I found this one individual, and I remember him as a cop. Uh, I never had the pleasure of working with him, but I remember him on the department. Uh, he was like maybe six years my senior, and he just kind of disappeared. I hadn't heard where he went or anything. And I see him on LinkedIn, and we started connecting, and what an incredible life. I have with me retired Phoenix police officer Bobby Arce. And Bobby, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, if you would, tell us a little bit about your career, but then I really want to hit into your post-career, your retirement. You think retirement, going fishing, this guy went fishing for a kidnapper. So <laughs> tell, us, tell us about your career, buddy. And Bobby, you got to start, I hate to interrupt, but you got to start. My favorite topic and subject always is the why. Why'd you become oh, a cop to start with? I grew up here in Phoenix, born and raised here in Phoenix, Arizona. Grew up, I've, I've heard some of the other interviews you guys have done. I grew up at 20th Street in Jefferson. Primarily around that area. Oh, so awesome. Nice area. It's, it's a nice area. <laughs> yeah. It's a very nice area. <laughs> nice place and, to visit. I don't know if I want to live there. but <laughs> So grew up there. Uh, later on, we moved out to 32nd Street in Roosevelt, but I went to uh, East High School. And I had some couple of people that were Phoenix officers that were very, I would say, influential in helping me at least planting the seed that I wanted to be a cop. And one was uh, 
Uh, my high school baseball coach, American Legion coach, was Gene Scott, and he just passed away. Uh, I think last week. Uh, I just saw the uh, – and the other one was uh, Ralph Griffith, was my nah. high school football coach. Oh, and I'll get, Here's yeah, another one. There's another one, okay. <laughs> Probably <laughs> the greatest academy instructor stories ever yes. came from Captain for, Griffith. For Captain back, Griffith. Back when, when we had captains, yeah. It gives politically incorrect a whole other name. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. And uh, those are two guys on the Phoenix PD that as Great a, young, as a young, young kid living from coming from the inner city – uh, started planting that seed, and eventually I joined the police academy, got out in 81, uh, was in class 170, and worked out of Sky Harbor Station, which later became Central City, and throughout my career, the only thing I really wanted to do, I wanted to work narcotics, I wanted to work gangs, and once I did both, uh, I, wanted, I wanted also to start working wiretaps, so I did uh, Title Threes about my last seven, and... So that's why I think a lot of times people didn't really see me around because you're always at an offsite location. You're off away from kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Usually what, so, 12 on, 12 off kind of thing? Yeah, you do. Yeah, no days off. You're working yeah. three, four months without a day off, a yeah. lot of overtime. And then I hit a point in my career where there was nothing else I really wanted to do. I started doing some of the drop houses, human smuggling, kidnappings with Phoenix PD at the end of my career. And I just woke up one day and... I just was exhausted being a Spanish speaker, working Spanish speaking wires. You're, you're working nonstop. Yeah. And 9-11 happened. Um, when 9-11 happened, uh, just like all of us were glued to the TV. Yeah. My son was a 9-11 Marine, joins the Marine Corps. And I'm actually feeling envious because I'm thinking, I wish I could be a kid because I wanted to go do what my son was going to do. And these contracting uh, jobs started opening up. And Marco Caez was the first one that, that I no, knew, no, ran no. off to go do great it. And guy, everybody, everybody's thinking, is he crazy? And I'm thinking, oh, I mean, secretly, I want to do this. I want to do Good this. But I was almost you. embarrassed to even admit that I wanted to do it. <laughs> so uh, I eventually uh, started uh, looking at some of the opportunities. Uh, so a position opened up in with Department of Justice that I applied for, got it. Uh, it was uh, primarily living in Sarajevo, Bosnia, uh, in, either in Sarajevo, uh, Banja Luka, which is a Serb Republic, also living in Zagreb, spent a lot of time in Belgrade, and I was the organized crime advisor, so it was a safe job. I mean, it was a really good job that when I first left the PD to be able to ease into something, because okay. a lot of people would think, weren't you afraid? No, the, the biggest danger I faced in and that those three years are probably eating and drinking too much. You know, it's just it was a very safe job. Okay, intel base. Intel, it- intel, uh, working with the organized crime teams. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of office work. A lot of office work, but uh, I had an office right across from the uh, director of the organized crime special police of the Serbian police. So we, I would walk in. We we trained their undercover cops. We put on undercover schools. We did. All kinds of training for them, but also a lot of mentoring. It's a lot of mentoring that you do. And Teaching they, the forensics. Yeah, forensics. They come out. Uh, they have cases. Uh, uh, they're doing up. We have the FBI there. We had the marshals. We had DEA. So whenever they had a case, we would reach out to our federal specialty. points. And, and we're like being the traffic cop here. Talk to this person. Gotcha. So after three years, uh, I was getting a little bored okay. and got to see pretty much all of Europe I wanted to see. And I said, it's time for me to try something adventurous again. And I decided before I got too old, I wanted to do Iraq or Afghanistan. Wow. So about I, what time is this? This uh, is uh, by that time, it was now 09 to 011. So wow. I went off and I spent 
primarily Mosul, Iraq, and Tel Afar, Iraq, close to the Syrian border. And there it was a training team, uh, training Iraqi police, and also a response team. That would be uh, much more dangerous. Oh, much more dangerous. It was hot. It was miserable. And you, I get a lot, of, a lot more respect. I mean, always respect for our military. Sure. But they do it. it it's incredible the watching what they do. The worst conditions and and dealing with the uh, uh, just the, it, it made me actually afraid because my son was doing these deployments, Making and now I know what uh-oh. he's doing. I was yeah, like, some, "Oh my god!" Sometimes ignorance can be bliss. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> were you in the the Syrian border area when ISIS was coming up? I mean, no. were you getting any intel reports and like had any genuine fears outside of the job you were trying to do? Right. Our job was primarily to try and identify also who the bomb makers were. They were all coming through from my area, from the Syrian border. So they were sneaking across the Syrian border with, you know, their suicide vest or big bombs to put in a vehicle. So they were primarily foreign, foreign, uh, foreign fighters. Foreign players. In, foreign players that were coming into Iraq. So we were working with Iraqi intel uh, that would trying to identify who these people were. So if a bomb would go off, we would go out to a scene and there would be just body parts or a head of a suicide bomber. Uh, and we would, we're, our job was to try and get DNA. Secure to that scene the best you could. Yes. And working with the Iraqis. So that, How were they to job. work with? How were they to work with? It's very disappointing. I think doing the contracting work, you see that uh, good old American work ethic, you just don't really see in a lot of other places. Interesting. People, uh, it's hot for me. It's hot right, for them, right, right. but they're complaining. It's hot. They just, well, the, the guy's dead. The case is over. No, the case is just starting. Yeah, this yeah. guy just killed himself and killed all these people. All that intel you yes. could get off that bomb. Yes, the well, there's very good intel to, to uh, get from, from you know, his eyeballs, from Thank his you. fingers, from anything you can get because they're yeah. doing iris scans as they're coming across the border. Get like and type a lot players. of these guys were like, no, you know what? Oh, he's dead. Let's, I'm done. I'm tired. It's hot. Well, we're tired. We're hot. Yeah. Let's identify this guy because it's important. So I did that for two years. And then um, a buddy, a guy that worked for me in Iraq, had just left to Haiti before I left. And he's calling me and telling me, hey, buddy. Okay, first, I, I got I to do a real quick recap. We're talking. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll go backwards. We're talking uh, as far as Serbia. We're talking um, Croatia. Iraq, Croatia. Muzzle. And now, muzzle. And now we're talking. Well, yeah, this is a very this serious is topic, but it's almost so surreal. You can't help yes, but giggle a little yes. bit. Like, You're really? Jack Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, uh, he's a uh, uh, former NYPD. He was in Haiti, and he calls, and Bobby, come down to Haiti. We'll have great time together and everything else. And he gets me all fired up. He says, there's a narcotics position opening up, and you could be the team leader of the narcotics unit. So I apply. I, go, I fly into uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I was like, oh, my God, this place is hot. It's humid. The, even the airport. I mean, there's no AC in the airport, and, wow. and it's just a, the traffic. It makes Iraqi traffic even look kind of controlled compared to what I saw in, okay. in Haiti. Okay. It's just really bad. So I get there, and uh, the narcotics position was taken. So we start maneuvering, and there's a kidnapping position. So I tell my buddy, I said, well, I'm going to interview for the kidnapping position, and if I don't get it, I'm going home. This, this is kind of stupid what I'm doing here. I'm just wasting my time. So I get the kidnapping position, and, you know, careful what you ask for because 
they were having a kidnapping crisis, which they do there, and it's primarily... Yeah, explain that. Uh, as far as if it's profit-driven, is it um, ideology-driven? It's, 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 it's all for ransom. Human it's trafficking? A, no, primarily for, for ransom. What it is, there's Money, kidnapping profit. gangs, profit. There's kidnapping gangs in some of, the, some of these bad areas there, and what they do is they get intel that this person here has family in the U.S., and they think anybody that has family in the U.S., has a lot of money, Cha-ching. even though they might be poor anyway. Yeah. So what they'll do is they would uh, show up to a house, surround it, uh, you know, open the door where the big bat wolf. They show up at two, three in the morning, these gangs with rifles and force entry, get everybody on the ground, do a takedown, uh, ransack the house and then leave with a vulnerable victim, a female, an elderly person or a child and are out. Then the negotiations would start. So. The Haitian government didn't want anything very risky. We'll pay the ransom, uh, negotiate for the lowest ransom. And then once they were released, now the real investigation. And because I worked wiretaps, I know how to chase phones. Right, that's, right, right. That's it's all about thing. that. You know, it's all about chasing Fish phones, hooking, right? whether, you're doing, whether you're doing narcotics, whether you're doing fugitives. But they don't have any of the equipment. We're doing it the old-fashioned way, looking at logs. And trying to identify the towers. Oh, wow. Flipping that is people, old school. Yeah, flipping people and everything else. So one of the funny stories I like to tell about Haiti is that uh, we had tremendous success there. We, we went from having tons of every, I mean, we were just running ragged. And, and anybody that works a kidnapping case will tell you it's not a, you know, a six-hour case. It, it lasts for days. Well, as, if it's hot, you're running You're running it. it. You're running it. You're sleeping in the office. Yeah. It, it's, you're not getting any rest, and it consumes you. Uh, you know, you got a victim out there that you're trying to rescue. You got the family, you know, uh, and initially we just started looking at Americans being kidnapped, okay. but we started also working any kidnappings. Because it's going to be the same gang, right? Yeah, same gang, because we're tying them all together. Sure. So uh, <laughs> there was, after we were done, had very successful uh, time there. We drove down kidnappings, which they had never had uh, a whole month without a kidnapping. And we actually had one month where they did not have one reported kidnapping, which is incredible. That was their success, a month without a kidnapping. Yes. Wow. Yes. So uh, two quick questions, Bobby. Sure. And I don't know if you could, one of them you might not be able to answer, but as a former cop and being in a foreign country, working some very serious crimes between the Haitian government, between your contractor, are you still carrying a gun? Yes. Yes. And, okay. And then are you doing the, the whole proof of life thing? during these is that part of the trying to work out between the families and the money and the kidnappers coming to a resolution are you doing is that like the movie you see yes, proof yes. of life is that like real proof, yeah proof of life is always something you're trying to you're getting immediately because you don't know if they've killed your victim they killed a lot of our so they're open to communicating they they yes. they they'll they, work they with want you. that money right we, yeah they want the money so, so are, like, they're working with you and i've yes. only seen the movie that's why i'm like are <laughs> i'm you, with you brother i'm with you brother. <laughs> let's go there's uh what we were doing is that i had a uh, an american nypd retired detective that was born and raised in haiti okay and he left to the new How york good is that right yes he left new york pd has a lot a large population of haitian officers okay, makes sense so they speak haitian creole they I understand they understand the culture love it and what we did is i heard of this guy he was a legend and they used to call him the haitian sensation so, <laughs> so I, I, that's what i called him he was my what superstar a great, what a great nickname <laughs> yes so i recruited him i found out he was coming and i said we need to grab him good for you and we grabbed onto him and we had uh two colombians two to three colombians from the colombian national police working for us that were there with the u.n 
And almost all the Haitians' uh, anti-kidnapping teams speak Spanish because they've been trained in Colombia and they've been trained in Chile. So I could communicate because they all spoke Spanish. I speak Spanish. So uh, that's how we communicated. But my guy, my American, he was our interrogator. Uh, he worked very close with the Haitians. I mean, he would be in the room. And one of the stories I he like understood to tell, the culture. He understood the culture. He understood the voodoo culture on how to use voodoo. <laughs> that's real. It's very real. To it's, them. it's very real to them. When I left, they wrote a very nice article about my team. And it was like how Haiti defeated the kidnapping problem or something. And But one of the hidden stories about that, my guy, uh, we're doing an interrogation. I'm not going to use his name because he's back there again right now. Good for you. But we're in a... We're in the, <laughs> there's an interrogation, and we have to wear these polo shirts with an American flag. So the bad guy knew we were Americans. Yeah. He knew we can't do things that other people, right. you know. <laughs> right, Seriously, right. you're wearing a polo with an American flag on Yeah, we have to wear, while we're, while we're out of uniform, we're not doing tactical stuff. We're, we, we have a polo shirt, and it has, everyone has an identifier. So and they Americans know have American. standards, Ooh, they we know have standards. that. We have, we have standards by interrogation. Right. Uh, standards that we can't do that they can do. Right. And the guy was laughing at my at my American, and we were very <laughs> frustrated because they had killed a uh, oh a twelve year old kid oh, that they had kidnapped on. on this. So the I won't even. Well, one of the Haitians comes up and says, "Hey, you guys hungry? Uh, yes, we're hungry. We're tired." He says, "You guys need to go out the door. Tell them I sent you. Do a couple of left to right, and you'll see it. Best grilled chicken. Go over there and have it." All right, come back in an hour or so. So we left. We come back, and Udmo, who's Haitian SWAT, they're already all suited up. They're all ready to roll. And we're like, what happened? What happened? Like, come on, hurry up. Get your gear. So we're getting our gear, and I looked at my American, and I go, what happened? He goes, Creel chicken. That's what he said. <laughs> so that was hint, hint, wink, goes, wink. <laughs> and he did one of these, like, uh, he goes, you know, they can do things that we can't yeah. do. And I said, that's, the safe Americans were out to yes, lunch, and they yeah, took care of business. They took care of business. They got like three locations for us, Perfect. and we're rolling. You told me a story. It just cracked me up on LinkedIn. Again, talking about this voodoo, how yes. it's so real to them. You co- actually, you told a couple of stories. Uh, if you could, I want to say is the word goat. You got my goat with one. Can you tell <laughs> yes. us that story? We're, uh, we're working a kidnapping case, and we're doing follow-up. And over there, they, they're, their substations are called police commissariats. So we go to Port-au-Prince commissariat it's over down by the bay and we run over there and there's this goat running around inside the building and i'm gonna let him out because it's it's <laughs> making a mess it's going all over the floor that's what goats do. yeah yeah that's what they do and it's stressed and i went to open the door and they're yelling no 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 don't let him out and i was like why not no we got to leave them they don't want to tell me well it turns out that uh one of their detectives had not showed up to work had been in an argument with his girlfriend and his girlfriend thought he was cheating and told him she was going to put a hex on him well, the next day, he doesn't show up to work, but the goat just wanders into the office in downtown Port-au-Prince, and they thought it was him. That's him. They thought it was that's him. him. Yes, that's him. We, we can't, we got to wait till we transform back into a person. And I'm thinking, no, this is a joke. You guys, no, they're, they're, and they're serious. One of the locals is telling me, no, no, don't laugh at this. This isn't, they're very serious about it. Well, I guess a couple of days later, the guy detective shows back up and he's uh, the goat's there and they realize, oh, okay, we can let the goat. I don't know if they ate him or what they did, but he was gone. And uh, Well, if the guy never came back, were they going to put the goat to work? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, what are they going to do with the goat? I don't know. And it, it is very serious. They work there. for nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good employees, right? Yeah, hey, and as, as, as much as we're laughing, you had a hex put on you did you not well we got threatened with a hex 
Dengue fever, malaria is very big. It's wow. still there because that's of the, stuff. The, the water, the, uh, the mosquitoes. And okay. I'm a cigar smoker. We would sit outside and smoke our cigars after work, and the mosquitoes would just tear us apart. Wow. And we had arrested a, a voodoo priest that was running a kidnapping cell. So as he's running this kidnapping cell, we finally uh, fi- locate him. We have him arrested. And in Haitian Creole, he's, thre- he's threatening us. And the locals are frightened. They're really scared. And we're laughing it off, being Americans. Right. And, and they're scared not just because he's a kidnapper, but because of this. Oh, it's because of hex. No, they, it's very real to them. Yeah. So about probably seven to ten days later, I'm, I, I'm not feeling well. I got a really bad headache. I feel nauseated. I go home early and I lay down and I wake up and I am burning. I have a puddle of sweat here on my, my, my sternum on my chest. And I get up. I can't even get myself up. And I look in the mirror. I am I, like if somebody had sprayed me with water. And it looked like the white of my eyes had been hit with a needle because that's a sign from your fever, the capillaries that they, or your eyes, they burst. Wow. And it looks like your eyes are bleeding. Wow. And I knew then I had dengue. And I'll start yelling for my buddy. This is after buddy, the hex? This is after the are hex. Are you starting to believe? Yeah, I'm starting to believe. <laughs> Might be some and, truth in this yeah. stuff. And my buddy who encouraged me to apply for the job, I look at him and the running joke we always have, I said, Another fine mess you got me yeah. into. <laughs> so he has to rush me to the, they rush me to the hospital. And uh, then, of course, the locals find out. And one of the locals shows up to the hospital, uh, the Argentine field hospital. There's an Argentine military hospital that they uh, sent me to. And he's like, hey, Mr. Bobby, I know a very good voodoo priest that could re- reverse that hex that they put on you. I was like, get away from me. You guys are going to get me possessed or something. Uh, you guys are starting to freak it. me out. Oh, my God. That is yeah. too good. And I was very sick for a good 30, 30 days. I didn't feel normal for maybe 45 How days. How do you overcome that? Um, IV antibiotics? Yeah, or? IV antibiotics and just rest. And uh, I did a lot of sleeping, lost a lot of weight. Dude, that it is just, so scary. Bad, I'm not scary. kidding. I mean, like, oh, his, this entire life, you know, in Serbia and Bosnia and yeah, we're Croatia a whole and lot Iran and Iraq and, and Haiti. There's nothing funny wow. about this. It's we're, insane. We're it really is. Uh, you definitely have a book in you. You need to come back on the show. You need to write a book, because this is some good stuff. For sure. Uh, will you come back? For sure. Thank uh, you. What, Thanks uh, for having me. Well, if you could tell us, what are you doing today, Bobby? Well, uh, after you, live, I left Haiti, you live back here. In I, live, I live in Phoenix. After I left Haiti, I went to Mexico for three years and uh, ran a team there and then got home. And now I, I write for Cartel Chronicles. Jesus. Uh, I, write, I write about drug cartels at the Cartel Chronicles. Uh, if anybody wants to follow. Yes, yes please. Uh, yes. My, uh, you could Google my name, uh, Robert, uh, last name A-R-C-E, Odyssey. And I'm been, I've done about 350 articles for uh, Breitbart's Cartel Chronicles. And uh, I'm also working, <laughs> was through the work, was contacted by some screenwriters, and I'm working on a screenplay about Mexico right now. Very so that's cool. What I'm doing. It's going to be a, a yeah. Netflix you series. Be a, I uh, you should be a uh, consultant on that Absolutely. show, Narcos. Have you ever watched it? Yes, I did. I did. That it, kind it, of started the rush, it, didn't it? Well, yes. listen, I love that show. you got to tell me. Is it pretty accurate? Yes, very accurate. It's, it, that, have you seen it, Derek? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Narcos yes. is so good. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. It's riveting. So, riveting. What, a, what a life. Uh, right? What? Post-retirement. 
Good for you. That is a great retirement story, my friend. Yes, please. And no offense, but after you leave, I'm having somebody with chicken bones come in. (laughs) We're going to dehex this whole place. We are dehexing Just in case the video followed your butt. Because I am so freaked out right now. I'm not. There was a goat downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) That's next week's guest. My my advice to anybody in in, in partying and closing out here is that there's, uh, there's life after the PD. Definitely. I love my time at the PD. The PD prepared me, uh, trained me to be able to go and do what I've done internationally. But a lot of guys are afraid to leave, and I never wanted to be one of those guys that stuck for a magic number of, of life money on. or something. There's life after the PD, Good and I, I, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I, you know, for a kid from 20th Street in Jefferson, I've seen the world. That's a, and Listen, I just got to say, uh, I'm going to steal away my inspirational clothes for the Thing I just got through doing a speech Saturday for the FBI National Academy, uh, all the upper echelon of police folks in the country. I mean, there's thousand people there from all across the country, chiefs, commanders, captains, you name it. And Bobby, you are such a great example of how police officers, especially, you need to live this life. One eye on a microscope. What do I need to do today? What do I need to learn today? What do I need to do tomorrow, next week? But keep one eye on a telescope. What can I be doing in the future? And look... This is a guy from 20th Street and Jerry. I used to, it's ridiculous, but, and, and I'll tell you, when I was new in 500, all I ever heard, it just drive me crazy from the older guys was, oh, you should have been here when it was Sky Harbor Precinct. I'm like, will you shut the hell up? <laughs> but well, I worked there. So I, I patrolled the area that you grew up in. Yes. And yes, for a kid from 20th Street and Jefferson to have risen to the ranks, done took the most of your training and to do what you're doing in the world right now that for all you officers out there across this country listening, you should go back and listen to this interview over and over and over because Bobby is a shining example of simply how to live your life. That is it's just, I am floored by this. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. It's been our pleasure. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment as long as, I as live. long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Batch Boys, everybody. Darren, how good was Bobby? <laughs> He's a great storyteller and what a life. A life in retirement. Can you imagine that life in retirement? But it's I not love a, it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a great term, life in retirement, but it's almost like his second career Clearly. was so... It's it's a movie. It's oh it really it's, is. It's things and that he's even writing a screenplay. <laughs> people like me, yeah, he is writing a screenplay. People like me can't relate to. But again, what he did, how he nurtured and paid attention to his his training and and the service to 
the community here in Phoenix. Use it as a and commodity. He, he took that, and now he's making a difference worldwide. Again, for mostly for Americans, and he's a Spanish speaker. He does work with the citizens of Mexico, and he's been to Haiti, and he's been to Serbia, and he's, I think there's 11 other countries he named. He probably speaks five different languages, the guy. But if you're sitting here in studio looking at him, he's just like us, T-shirt, Baseball cap and he's normal just, guy. Uh, he's normal a, Joe. That, and with I, a great heart. I always, normal guy with a great heart. I always tell people, you know, when you walk down the street, you look at you have no idea yeah. who you're looking at or right. you don't know what people's story is. And this guy is unassuming, unpretentious, humble, funny, and engaging. And the guy has literally lived such a romantic, fun life. I'm, I, I mean, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do it, but it's it was awesome. So thank you for bringing him. Oh, on. absolutely. But you kind of hit the nail on the head when you talked about um, life after retirement, because cops, we have such a passion to save people, help people. And he hit it when he said, you know, get out of your comfort zone, you know, travel, yeah. see stuff. And because we still have that need and help and desire with all this training, he goes to, uh, I, I hate to use the word backward nation because it's so mean sounding, but a nation that isn't really up the speed forensically he comes in just as a regular detective with a skill set that they were yeah. able to utilize him and then he goes up the rank where he's the head of the uh, kidnapping uh, um task force well and for all you police officers out there don't dismiss the consulting the private contracting there's a lot of money to be made we all want to better ourselves we all want to be financially stable he risked his life he he did serve his community but i promise you he he wasn't volunteering. You know what I mean? Right, he, right, he was right, getting right. paid for what he was doing, right. and we didn't ask him about that. He probably that. wasn't getting paid enough for the uh, risk he was taking well, in some of the yeah, places. He, yeah, but then you, <laughs> probably, you can't probably can't Gulf put War. it. Well, when he talked about being on the border of Syria, I'm like, you've got to be kidding right? me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go over right? there for anything. So, But our, you know what's interesting about yeah. this life? And when we talk about Haiti, and you think about voodoo. I always think, when I think of Haiti, I think of voodoo heads, you know, the shrunken heads. We're going to talk a little bit about not shrunken heads, but the removed heads, removed body oh parts. I mean, this sounds like voodoo stuff, and it happens here in Phoenix. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, well, it probably goes along with like what he was talking about. The, when, you, when you say the term kidnapping, there's a lot to it. You have ransoms. You have human trafficking. And I think this is a little bit what we're getting ready to get into. Everybody's maybe heard the term chop shop and... Well, you think automobiles. Well, yeah. Ever you since do. I was a new, a chop shop, there's, sure. I, I mean, as we speak Even right bicycles. now, looking out the beautiful windows over the uh, skyline of Phoenix right now, I, I promise you, I could probably see a hundred chop shops. I don't know. I just don't know where <laughs> they are. But you do. You think about vehicles. Yeah. And the term chop shop can actually be like a horror movie. Chop, when chop. We, when, we, <laughs> when we are talking about, because on the black market. And I don't know, Darren, how much I, I've done a little bit of Googling, just like you hear about these crazy statistics, like 96% of the internet is actually on what's called the dark web. What we see, and I think the internet is endless. Obviously it is. That's only like 4% of what we have access to. The dark web that they talk about is where people can get a little crazy with drugs and hitmen, and And I'm sure... Uh, what we're getting ready to talk about but this is a true horror movie chop shop thing we're talking about chopping up human bodies to recover well, i 
I'm so stuck in, I travel all over the country and I speak about organ donation and, and I the use beautiful the, part of it. Oh, the beautiful part Thank of it. You. Yes. And I use the correct terms like recovering an organ. <laughs> We're talking about somebody cutting out your, one of your body parts and selling it on the black market. And that's, that's scary that there's the, the bad people who do that, but almost as scary is the people on the uh, purchasing side, the supply and demand of this. Yes. Are you kidding me right now? Yes, it's a big business. We think of it as a urban legend. I think many of us think of it as an urban legend. I These, do. Yeah, exactly. Four, what was it? Four years ago, uh, a local person here in Phoenix off of uh, Broadway and like 24th Street, um, or maybe it's university, uh, they were charged for having this human chop shop. And what basically occurred is they were able to sell this business where you would donate your body upon your death. And you're thinking as a good donor, uh, good organ donor, like myself and, and Jason, where we're going to help people after we, we pass on. Yeah. And beautiful, good for you. Yes. Yeah, Unfortunately, life, leave it behind. like any other good thing out there some bad person comes on and distorts it what this gentleman was doing was he comes in as with his business he gets your body and then he is simply wholesaler he's the middleman who is then going to sell it for profit and when the fbi came into this business like i said about four years ago uh they found buckets and i hate to use it the word but dicks a bucket of dicks <laughs> wow and yeah i'll call it like it is uh heads then there'd be another bucket of arms, another bucket of legs, and they would just sell this stuff. And it was you can't transplant an arm or a leg. What the, what's the point of that? Again, someone out there wants it for some type of ligament, some type of cadaver stuff. You know what I mean? So there's there's clearly with their supply, there's demand. There's someone out there yeah. that needs this stuff or wants this stuff. And this guy, I, one word comes to my mind: Frankenstein. Yeah, this was like you know the old style where they go out and do the grave digging. They they're just too lazy to do the grave digging themselves. They have you volunteer your bodies. <laughs> uh, it's disgusting. I could not believe this was a true story happened in our own backyard. And the FBI has been working on this for uh, again things you don't hear about on the news. The FBI you hear about the ten most wanted, or you hear about. Sure. Uh, terrorism things that they are actually working on but there's divisions within the federal government that are working on uh, a human chop shop and right here in our own backyard so you have to assume it's going on in la chicago houston philadelphia we simply caught out it's uh yeah i mean it's not phoenix is not anything special when it comes to the cr crimes big right, cities right, are big right. cities and they're probably going on so what do they do when they get this are they i mean you've donated your body so you have said whatever you want to do you get it where, where's the explain to me where the crime is yeah and that's where the federal comes in as uh, we cops know there's you know you have your local ordinances you have your city ordinances you have your state laws then you have federal crimes as a homicide we know that there's certain things you can and cannot do when it comes to a body you have to you know call the police there has to be an investigation you can't just you know, mom dies and you just, you know, dig a hole and put her in the backyard. That's a state crime. Federal, the <laughs> FBI came in. You know. It's a lot cheaper, though. Darren. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, the feds have great laws when it comes. And, for example, when I did a couple of task force when I was doing burglary, feds have a law where you have to count for your money. You can't just have money and not be able to count for it. 
And that's interesting because we're following these uh, guys that were hitting these ATMs. Well, they're the ATM guards. They're the ones that have access to the ATMs. They supply the money and so forth. And there are suspects. So there's nothing we can do if their fingerprints are all over the ATM machine. So we had to look at their paper trail, their money. And if they can't account for how they got that money, that in and of itself is a federal offense. Now, we don't have a state law that says you have $20 you can't account for. <laughs> we don't have oh, yeah. that. So luckily, the FBI is a perfect jurisdiction, perfect entity to investigate this because what they end up doing is having a contract that says you donate your body, you do this, you're, you know, and you sign off on it. Well, there's next of kin. There's beneficiaries with insurance and so forth, and they have a say in this. Yeah. And when you have your loved one that says yes, and the contract says with dignity and for the purpose of medical research, and it's all about medical research, I think the name of the business is something to do with human research. And all you are is a chop shop to sell it to the highest bidder. You've just breached that contract. And, that, and so there's the civil litigation and then the feds come in because you can't do some of these things without having the proper authority and licensing and so forth and becomes a federal offense, thankfully. But playing devil's advocate, and obviously I'm always on the side of law and right from wrong. But if you, you know, when I think about donate, you hear the term donating your body to science. It's going to go to a medical school for young people to practice and, and learn from. And I'm not one of those people. I'm an organ donor and whatever can be left behind, great. But outside of that, I'm getting cremated and you know what? Uh, let's go to Toy Pines Golf Course and spread my ashes all over that. I'm not donating my body to science. So I get the crime. I get the suspect side of it. But as the person who is volunteering to donate your body, on the how do you and there has to be some accountability there that you're not making sure that your body is going to the right place does that do you understand what i'm saying i do i do and i think that's the crux of that contract when the contract says to you the organ donor uh we're going to do this 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 and this it's a contract it's a contract for your body, and this is what we're going to do and when they breach that contract every which way but lose so they're you're saying people they're breaching it after you're dead, without your family's knowledge, you sign the contract and everybody takes it for granted. Like we all do with contracts, it's no different than leasing a car. You take for granted that what is in writing is... Is going to be accurate. Is going to be and, accurate. Yeah, exactly. And then when it's, and not, it's not, then And that's the sad thing. Direction. And again, when many times good-hearted people are victimized based on their good heart. And we see yeah. that in all walks of life, you know, not of just in criminal aspect, but people take advantage of, of individuals with a big heart. And that's what happened here is because is there a greater gift that you can give to society than your body after you're no, gone? The gift of, no, the gift of it's life, huge. leaving, leaving behind something to help other people, whether it be your corneas, your kidneys, your heart, lungs, or even, you know, I've seen, I've been to autopsies where people donated what's called your long bones in your legs. And a lot of people don't know this, that those bones get ground up and they're used in dental offices all across this country. Don't ever take for granted when you get a filling, when, you know, when you have something done, it, probably somebody who gave the gift of life and donated that when they passed away. It's, you, you hear about it from, uh, athletes all we ever care about oh my god my favorite athlete tore his acl he's out for a year and that's what we think about well, 
how do you think he got a new ACL? Yeah. It happened wasn't, to me. Happened to me. Yeah. It wasn't from somebody healthy being like, I don't need my knee. I'll give you my ACL. No, it's from somebody who, yeah. who died and gave the gift of life. And it's not, it's always easy to think about heart transplants, lung transplants, and saving somebody's life. But even something as small as an ACL, and I say small in the terms of actual measurement, you, you, it's a small realize. body part, but you're talking about somebody who makes a million dollars a year from now getting back out on the, the playing field, and it's because somebody died and gave that to them. That's immeasurable yeah. when you talk about the gift of life. Yeah, I was, I, I was just getting a root canal, and the uh, dentist drilled through my gum and ended up going right through, didn't realize I guess my jaw juts out somehow. And so I didn't, didn't know. I'm dying. <laughs> we need a camera in the I'm, studio. I'm screaming we put a camera in pain. There. And I finally go to an emergency room. They say, oh, my God, you're, you're losing half your jaw. I was wow. losing half my seriously? jaw. Yeah, no, seriously. And so they got a cadaver bone. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it's exactly what you're explaining. That's what it was. And so my, my jaw is dead. So I am haunted by the, uh, the death soul <laughs> of my jaw. It's, yeah. it's definitely something you think. <laughs> and there's so, l- listen, there are millions of people out there right now who are either living donors. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, are you going to speak up? I'm, I'm, I'm staring at my producer right now like Robin. Yes, Are I you going to speak up? I am a living kidney donor. A living donor kidney donor which is love it. incredible love it. and then, love it. and then countless families who can the say life, can literally. say i did that but to look at that you have human chop shops yeah come and, and, on and this is what the article goes on to say several years have passed since biological resource center shuts its door but new documents detail the hidden horrors behind the fbi investigations Former FBI assistant special agent Mark Sinar testimony says he observed buckets of heads, arms, legs inside a building near 24th Street and University in Phoenix. He also went on to say that uh, there was a cooler filled with male genitalia. Yeah, I wasn't making up the dick thing. Uh, body parts piled on top of each other with no apparent identification to indicate what bodies came from where or even a torso. There's no accountability what they're doing. Uh, one head would be removed and replaced with a similar head thrown together like in a Frankenstein manner. They're like playing with these things. It was disgusting. The Federal Bureau of Investigation raided the Phoenix-based body donor facility in 2014 after allegations that the company was selling parts of those donated bodies for profit. Is the address There's, listed? Because I want to drive by on my way home and just see what it is now. Yeah, 24 like Street University. Union or yeah. <laughs> At least eight families say they donated their loved ones' bodies to the facility for medical research. There's a key medical research, but are now suing the company, good for them, and its owner, Stephen Gore, for mishandling their corpses and failing to meet the promises made in their consent forms. There's that that breach of contract. Uh, Gord, by the way, did plead guilty and was sentenced to probation. What? Yeah, there's there's the kicker. Uh, Gord will appear in court in October to face several families who file <sighs> civil suits. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's a federal violation, but uh, he had a uh, maybe. A, I, I don't know. I don't want to go. So into last it. week we talked about a girl licking ice cream who might be facing 20 years. And this guy's and playing Frankenstein. This guy got probation. Yeah. Something yeah. is seriously wrong. And look, but, I'm, not look try- at- I'm not trying to be funny. Sure. And I'm not trying to be a jackass. What do you do with a box of shriveled up? non-blood supplying, useless male genitalia. What is the point of that? None. I, 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 again, I, you're we're not sitting, experts. You're shaking, we don't there's know. no yeah, answer to that. I, yeah, I what? can't. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. That alone, I let's give him time in prison just because he's an idiot. And that's the beauty. We saw this once before, not to the same degree, but uh, worse, O.J. Simpson. Uh, most of the people thought he was guilty, me included. Uh, he did not see justice there. Civilly, he did. Mm-hmm. Civilly, sometimes, unfortunately. Uh, when, but did he, has he paid much? No. I've, but, met, I've met Ron Goldman Sr. And, okay. And what an incredible, Thank you. incredible man he is. And good for him. I don't think OJ has paid. And now, and now because OJ at least is back they, on Twitter. I wouldn't mind if his genitalia ended up in a freaking box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a good thing that we have civil um, well, yeah, civil recourse. Yeah, we do. The burden of proof is uh, a lot, lot less. less. A lot yes, less yes. In that. But I don't think he's paid the thirty something no, million that he owes least, the Goldman family. At least we can say he's guilty, and we didn't have that before with OJ and with Gore. Same thing. Yeah, he was found guilty. Uh, at least he was found guilty probation. But now these families will go after him because that's completely inappropriate what he did completely on so many levels they gave the gift of life something beautiful and you used it not just to make a buck but then you did something disgusting with it and and a travesty well hopefully there's a lot of listeners out there that do want to be donors that maybe even are considering donating their entire bodies to and don't let this scare you to sign yeah don't let this scare you just make sure that you research. are are going through and every state has the incredible outlets for this i mean the arizona donor network for living and for the deceased and again i try i'm going to seattle tomorrow and i'm speaking to the life care center up there that deals in this transplantation and this whole process just read the paperwork yeah there's a way to to do it right to do it and make sure and especially for families because well, I'm not dead yet, but I can imagine being dead's the easy part. It's the the, the, families, the loved people ones. that are left behind that have it so difficult. So you want to make sure that you're not disrespected or that you're not completely traumatized by what you find out five years later. And before you sign the contract, make sure the business is not owned by Victor Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be good. I, I can't wait to see what he does. He's only on probation. I'm sure he's going to start another business. So The only thing that um, comes to my mind is... Are you sure he's not a necrophiliac? No, we don't. Yeah. We don't know. We don't it's know. It's just weird no, you, when you no, think about you, that. You genuinely don't know. But so, yeah. so many crimes, so many outlandish things. The when when you when it comes to greed and money, it's. Uh, do you remember that story in Atlanta a few years ago? Well, it's, I, I lose track of times. Probably been five or six years ago. But there was a crematorium. Yes, I in do Atlanta, remember that. Yes. And it got flooded one day, and there was like 120 yes. bodies that surfaced. This guy was saying, They're I cremated. cremated your loved ones, they and weren't. he was giving them, I, I don't even know what the ashes were, but turns out he was just hiding the bodies. It was barbecue ashes. On a, uh, he had a huge, a uh, lot of acreage in Atlanta. Yeah. And he it was, was cheaper to he, just bury in the backyard. Oh my God, he was making an ungodly amount yeah, of money. Yeah, I, yeah. I cremated my dad two and a half years ago. It's Aww. not, it's not a cheap process. Right, right, right. I right, mean, right. When we die, families are financially, you're going to suffer yeah. for sure. Um, but I, I remember that story. And when it comes to greed and finances, you don't know what people are going to do. So anyway, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather have had Bobby for the 
other 20 I, you minutes. You know, we need to come back to the next segment <laughs> uh, so that we have something uh, yeah, inspirational, uh, something heroic, something good. Let's do something good. positive. So Thank come you. back for heroic headlines, stupid suspects, and a little inspiration. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. You know, after that, we had a great uh, guest, really funny, interesting adventurous then we went to literally the bowels of yeah. uh, humanity yeah. uh, with spare bowels scary topic yeah you know, to spare uh so we need jason shackerley to lift our spirits we need something heroic we need a, a inspirational we need we need our very own jason shackerley well this is going to be short and sweet but i think this is great this comes from ac family uh this week and uh, it's just a short story. Firefighters and police officers came together and rescued a dog from a canal in Phoenix early on Monday morning. Phoenix police responded to a canal just north of Indian School Road and 20th Street on a report of a dog in the canal. Police say that one of their officers used a rope to lasso the dog. Darren. I love it. You went through the academy quite a while ago. I did. I went through the academy 20 years ago. That's not something they teach. No. That's not something they say. It's so, a skill set. And I grew up out in the countryside of the West Valley with horses and all that stuff. And I consider myself a good old country boy. My family's from Alabama. Lassoing a dog in a canal takes a certain skill set that don't, most of us don't have. And I, would, never seen. I would love to know who this officer was that showed up and was like, oh, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, let me grab my rope. Let me lasso this dog and drag him out of the canal. But they did get the dog out of the canal. They got him to a vet, and the dog is safe and sound. And, I mean, I know for most of us, I have three dogs at home. There's nothing like the unconditional love of a dog and when you see something uh, a situation like that where a dog is completely helpless and he certainly was going to drown and not be around for his family to love anymore but i'm just i'm more they are heroes to me because it's something a little bit out of the norm yeah a little bit uh that goes what i would consider above and beyond the call of duty you don't have to get in shootings you don't have to do all this stuff when you talk about the stuff on tv yeah heroin but i i I seriously want to know who this officer is if it's just like here good let me wrap this rope up and (laughs) he lassoed the dog you've been to these canals oh yeah they're they're we had an officer we had an officer died in may of 2004 who drowned yeah searching searching for a gun 
and at the bottom of a canal. Scuba driver. And he was a skilled scuba Thank diver you. wearing the full outfit, and there was four or five other officers on yeah. scene. This is not a joke. Right. It's These, funny. It the, sounds cute and loving, yeah, but it's dangerous. You're the, right. The canal system in Phoenix is, is very dangerous. And I have stood on the side of many of these canals, and there's I, getting, you know, going down the side, getting out would be very difficult. And again, this officer grabbed a rope and spun it over his head, threw it, and happened to snatch the dog around his neck. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. So to whoever that police officer is here in Phoenix, uh, big shout out. Thank you very much for saving um, somebody's unconditional love and for going outside of the norm, above and beyond the call of duty. God bless all of you guys. Thank you. Darren? Well, you uh, lifted us, and now I'm going to sink us down to the lowest denominator. Let me hear it. Uh, in Toledo, Ohio, a security guard, security guard, no less, is facing criminal charges after security footage was released showing the security guard drawing his weapon on a uniformed sheriff deputy. Yep. The deputy posed absolutely no threat. Uh, he was actually walking away when the security guard pulled his gun out and aimed it at him. Um, yeah, this incident began on May 31st when Lucas County Sheriff Deputy Alan Gaston received a letter in the mail from the IRS wanting to ask some questions and so forth. So the deputy came to work. Apparently, it was within his policy to do so uh, in uniform. Uh, deputy Gaston said that he was on duty at the time, uh, pulling up to the building in his marked cruiser, walking inside, dressed in full his full uniform. Apparently, the sight of another armed man caused security guard to change into action jack is how the uh, story puts. But basically, he felt that the officer should not have been in that building with a gun and told him to leave. Now, the officer doing the right thing said, you know, I'm not going to get in a, a pissing contest. He's in uniform. Thank you. But he said, you know what? I'm not going to get in a pissing contest. No good can come from this. I'm going to turn around and leave. Good for him. Good for that officer. Yes, good for him. Security guard still drew his weapon Followed him out the building with the gun aimed at him. Could oh there have been God. an accidental discharge? Could there have been? A, absolutely. So he is facing criminal charges as well. Well, he the officer. Be. Hey, in all fairness, the officers could. The officer could have turned and shot and killed. <gasps> Thank him. you. And thankfully, and he, he chose didn't. not to. Yeah, but he chose. No, you're, you're absolutely right. That's, yeah, it was really stupid remarkable. of that security guard. And I, you know what? This is not an indictment against security guards. No, they it's do it valuable service out there. A gun at me. It was the wrong guy being a security guard. No doubt about it. Should not have been. And it was, let's face it, it was a really shitty thing to do. I know guns aren't allowed in certain places, but if you're in uniform, it's actually part of your uniform. Thank That's you. That's not Thank you. Uh, a problem. Speaking of uh, shitty things to do, a serial toilet <laughs> clogger. Uh, I'll say it again. Dude, a come on. Uh, yes, yes. A serial toilet clogger was sentenced to 150 days. The curious commode caper uh, in Wisconsin has been solved. In March 2018, police were announced that over an 18-month period, someone had occasionally been clogging the women's toilet at the D-Land Community Center with a 20-ounce soda bottle. He was doing this. He was a serial commode clogger in the woman's bathroom so he yes. was, but he was yes. clogging it with soda bottles yes he was yes he was to cause yes. women obviously yes he was some serious yes issues. he was uh, on monday patrick beeman well buddy get a life was sentenced <laughs> to 150 days in jail for the crime he'll also be on probation for three years is that an interesting probation you are not allowed by any commodes can i give him a swirly yeah, is absolutely. that actually? Is there? I, I want to know what judge actually wrote that in their little uh, brief. They yeah, said you yeah. are not you are not allowed near any commodes. So what? Is, how does he go to the restroom? I, I, I'm not allowed in here. Yeah, I can't go to the restroom yeah, yeah. ever again. I'm a clogger. I'm not allowed. <laughs> 
Uh, the manager at the temp agency told police Beeman had messed with the toilets at one other placement in 2017. He's been all over the place. Uh, when all these issues arose, the criminal complaint quotes that Beeman was saying he got, quote, very strong urges to pull the bottle from the garbage and use them to plug toilets. I just can't imagine that type of urge, but apparently Beeman had. So 150 days for clogging toilets. And the last stupid suspect story, and this one is my favorite. I always save my favorite for the last. A Louisiana woman wanted for second-degree murder, so this is no laughing matter. She's wanted for second-degree murder, was apparently, ready for this, unhappy with her official photo on her, if we will, silent witness. They have Crime Stoppers. Yeah. So she was upset at her photo on the Crime Stoppers wanted person um, bulletin. She quote, that picture is ugly. <laughs> she was so mad that she got onto the internet and complained about it to Silent Witness, or in this case, it was Crime Stoppers. Yeah, completely true. The St. Martin Parish deputies need your assistance with locating Precious Landry. That's her name, by the way, Precious Landry. That's a great name. It is, it, but apparently she has an ugly mugshot. Her parents had high hopes for her. Her, her mugshot was not Precious. Uh, she was wanted for <laughs> second degree murder stemming from an incident that occurred over the weekend at True Friend Hall in Parks. Uh, and then it goes on, and then it says that they said to her, quote, Precious Landry, you're always welcome to head over to the sheriff's office and take a new picture if you want. Or you can just wait it out, and when someone turns you in, we'll get it. And guess what she did? No. Yeah, you guess it. She turned herself in because you wanted a new photo. They offered to let her take a new photo? Yep. And what? she came down. She took him up on her offer. She is now in jail That was or more of a play, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so if you, you know, don't like your picture... Hey, anyone out there, anyone at the sound of my voice, if you see your mugshot, you see your wanted poster, if you don't like your photo, come on down. We'll get a new photo and we'll put you in jail. You know, in this day and age of technology and transparency and all that, I think it would be great from the officer who's doing the booking in jail to your initial appearance. I think it'd be great to hand somebody an iPhone or an iPad and say, you know what? You need to take a selfie. That's what we require. You take your own <laughs> mugshot because I want to see because you know people in selfies they will look ridiculous oh, or yeah. they and and you're going to see people like again this is not a laughing matter she's accused of second murder. degree murder yeah. but I guarantee if she was allowed to take her own selfie she would have been posing and smiling and all that so I would uh, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make that I'm gonna see if I can introduce a law that. Uh, <laughs> We no longer take photos, and the jails don't. Make people take their own selfies. Their own selfies. Would that be? I like it. I that like would, it. It's very inspirational. Be. Speaking of inspirational. I don't know how inspirational this is this okay. week, but I am fired up. I'm like a 10-year-old boy on Christmas, <laughs> and this is going to sound maybe ridiculous to a lot of people, but this is what life is about for me. Uh, I constantly talk about every day you've got to find something that inspires you got to find something that moves you and motivates you. So I am traveling this week to the Pacific Northwest. And there are two states that I have never, I, I'm kind of checking off all the states in the country. Um, my goal is to get to all 50 to, that I've spoken to. And I'm down to about, I got about eight left that Good I have you. not Good for you. been to. Well, two of them are Washington and Oregon. And this week alone, beautiful, beautiful. This week alone, I'm speaking in Washington. And I'm speaking in Oregon. Two days back to back. So awesome. So one of the gentlemen who uh, hired me to come speak, he said, hey, uh, the flight from Seattle to Portland is 
45 minutes. And I got to thinking, I'm like, what an incredible waste of time to go to Seattle's airport two hours early, go to security, do all this stuff. And I got the idea last week to do something. And I'll tell everybody, I'm 46 years old. Something I have never, ever done is take an Amtrak. So I looked just out of curiosity. Google is a great tool, right? Train ride. Good for you. Train ride, Seattle to Portland. And guess what? The Amtrak cascades, three and a half hours. It was less than half the price of a plane ticket. And I can't tell you how excited already. I'm, I'm two days away from this. How excited I am to get on this train by myself, sit next to the window, and for three and a half hours to see the beautiful scenery of the Pacific Northwest whether I listen to some music, whether I read a little bit of the book I'm currently on, whether I think about the show we're going to do next week, no, ma no matter what I need to do to be in a good place and look forward to the next speech that I'm going to be doing in Portland, I can't tell you. I feel like a 10-year-old boy on Christmas. I and love that love is what every day you got to find something that motivates you and you got to find a reason to fall in love with life. And today, today's wonderful. Obviously, we're recording our show and I'm, Thank you. I am always elevated for that. But I am so looking for, it doesn't matter what happens between now and then because I know what I'm doing. And when it's over, I'll probably have great memories. I'll post some great pictures on Instagram and Twitter. But when it's over, I'll have to find the next great thing for me. And I would just encourage you, all of to. you to try and do that. Try and find something to look forward to, whether it's a few hours from now whether it's a week from now, you've got to keep falling in love with life. And again, I'm, I, I, you guys might laugh, but I'm I, truly, I'm a 10-year-old boy. And I can't wait to open my present. I, I can't wait it. to get on that Amtrak and be like, I've never done this before. And look out the window and take pictures and just be happy. Good for you. I'm going to give that? you a real quick shout out before you close the show, my friend. Uh, first shout out is to you. Uh, this event that, Jason's talking about is national. They have these heavy hitters. You know what I'm talking about, Robin. Yep, I sure and know. our own Jason Sheckley was invited with these huge uh, because he's huge. Jason is huge. I don't know. No, he no, is. No, no. And then my second shout out is to our very own Rock and Robin. Yes. Uh, we had a change in plans. We had to come in <laughs> a different day. She came on her own day off. Came out here to the studio to make this show what it is because is of beautiful. my travel schedule. Yes, Robin came thank in you, on her. Thank you to day. both of you. Oh. Her day off. When he made. I'm he sure. just made me cry See? too with that train. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yes, it. You did, did it, brother. You yes, did. my goal every week, and uh, it's uh, what a beautiful way to start the week. Um, I can't wait for everybody to hear this show. And again, Darren, thank you so much. Twenty six episodes. Yeah, I think, I we're think on we are. And I've loved all of our guests. Sure. Uh, just certainly uh, not uh, putting one above the other. But every week you come in here. Sometimes not knowing what to expect. And Bobby just completely <laughs> he blew, was awesome. blew me away. Yeah, so he I was wanna, awesome. I want to thank you for that. I, I, I have no problem telling everybody. Darren uh, gets 90% of our guests, and he does an incredible job. I hope you're all enjoying the show. So we will be back next Wednesday. We've got a great lineup uh, that we've already talked about between now and September. Uh, and anybody out there, law enforcement, positivity, heroism, anybody out there, who Stupid is, suspect story. Well, <laughs> yeah. One of these days, Robin's going to be like, listen, Jason quit. And I can't, the only reason I can tell you is because of Darren's stupid suspect story. But if there's anybody out there in this country who's like, you know what? I have a story to tell. 
I, I want to make a difference in the future of law enforcement. Give us a call. Please. Send us an email. We would love to have you on the show. This is not a, you know, this is not. You don't a, have to write a book. No, our show. good Lord. If yeah. you've got a story to tell and you want to be on the show, we would love to have you. So reach out. God bless all of you. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Darren, have a great week. I love you, you too, buddy. Brother. Robin, you are absolutely the best. The best thing in the history of ever and i wish everybody could see robin's always given that old school 1980s rock and roll kdkb double horns yeah i love it so all right thank you all very much uh have a great week batch boys thanks for listening to batch boys (laughs) stories insights guests and true blue humor with retired police sergeant darren birch and retired police officer jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.